this song, this Maskell of David in Psalm 32, is a song for the forgiven. For the forgiven. And I'm pretty confident about that because David finds three different ways of saying it in the first few lines there. Blessed is the one whose transgression is forgiven, whose sin is covered. Blessed is the man against whom the Lord counts no iniquity. I mean, saying it once would have been clear enough, but three lines and and three synonyms for sin and three ways of expressing the forgiveness of that sin. Transgression, forgiven. Sin, covered. Iniquity, not counted. Clearly, this is a song for the forgiven. And specifically in those opening lines, it's a song for the forgiven to celebrate, because to be forgiven is to be blessed. That's the heart of the message. To be forgiven is to be blessed. And that's a very positive word, blessed. Uh, That's something I think we need to take on board as we look at this little psalm today, because we might not realize how positive the word blessed is, and we might not have thought to use overtly positive terms for someone who has been forgiven. I mean, to be forgiven must mean that we also have sinned. And so we might be inclined to think of forgiveness, you know, just as like resetting us, bringing us back up to neutral ground again, back to level pegging. But blessed, well, that's an altogether positive word. It means joyful. It means to be full of joy, completely, cosmically joyful. Blessed are the forgiven. And saying that, three times in three lines, leaves a bit of a hangover there, like a, like a one-line fragment at the end of that first paragraph, and in whose spirit there is no deceit. And I want to suggest that that short fragment left behind there serves, I don't know, like a kind of segue into the flip side of the psalm's big idea. In the next paragraph, I mean, this is the alternative to being forgiven, as David has learnt the hard way by experience, and it's the very opposite of blessed, for when I kept silent, he says, my bones wasted away through my groaning all day long. For day and night your hand was heavy upon me. My strength was dried up as by the heat of summer. And this time the one-line fragment comes at the start of the paragraph tying back to the last one. And it sets up what David didn't get right at first. What he didn't do, he kept silent about his sin initially. And when he kept silent about his sin, covering it over and hiding it in deceit, David was the very opposite of blessed, as again, he he therefore finds three different ways of capturing for us. He was groaning all day long. He felt God's hand heavy upon him. He was sapped of all strength. To push our sin back down inside only creates a festering, aching burden. Keeping silent over our sin is no way forward. And so to be forgiven and thereby blessed is, yes, to have sinned, but then confessed. To be forgiven and, and, and therein blessed is to have sinned, but then to have confessed. 
confessed. And so now with three different ways of, of saying that, David shows us his solution in all this, how he went from sinful to forgiven, from burdened to blessed. I acknowledged my sin to you, and I did not cover my iniquity. I said, I will confess my transgressions to the Lord. Confession is fundamental to forgiveness. Confession is fundamental to forgiveness. To to not confess and acknowledge sin is to cover it up and, and keep silent about it and be deceitful about who we truly are and what's really going on with us. So notice how these two things link together as a right response. There's sin and there's confession. Sin and confession. The the right response to sin is confession. And, and, And confession then leads to forgiveness. Our next fragment tells us at the end of verse 5, And you forgave the iniquity of my sin. And just like that, with just that one line fragment, we've now got a a simple chain of these ideas to to capture the blessing in this psalm. Sin, confession, forgiveness. Sin, confession, and forgiveness. David has given us two alternatives as to the outcome of our sin. Blessing, on the one hand, or burden. And the key he's given us too that takes us from the one to the other. Here's what David's trying to teach us here. When we are sinful, we should confess our sin to the Lord. When we confess our sin to the Lord, we are forgiven. And to be forgiven is to be blessed, full of joy. And so from his own personal experience, David also wants us to be wise in this, that the heart of the lesson he's giving to us is is laid out for us in simple form in verse 6. Therefore, let everyone who is godly offer prayer to you at a time when you may be found, and surely in the rush of great waters they shall not reach him. David knows that to be forgiven by God is to be rescued because there's a flood coming. There, there is a flood of judgment coming against our sin that we won't in any other way survive. And so he urges us to confess now, while, while God's forgiveness can still be found. Confess, David's urging us. Confess. Let everyone who knows and understands that God is just and righteous confess before his righteous justice comes. Because God will forgive if we come to him now and confess. And only in his forgiveness will we be saved from the judgment. Because our sin won't be counted against us anymore, as verse 1 put it. Blessed and delivered are those who confess. The forgiven can can sing with David three times now in verse 7. You, Lord, you are a hiding place for me. You preserve me from trouble. You surround me with shouts of deliverance. So I think this next concept, deliverance, or in other words, salvation from the coming judgment of sin, it it also now connects into this chain of blessing here in our psalm. Sin 
confession, forgiveness, salvation, salvation. The blessing in these first seven verses leads to salvation. We are sinners, but we confess our sin, and God forgives us, and we are spared from judgment. God surrounds us with salvation. And we might sum up David's call to us here so far by thinking through these two alternative paths that he's mapping out for us. And the difference between the two paths seems to be our confession. Because on the one hand, we we confess our sin, we receive forgiveness, and we're delivered from judgment. Or we don't confess and we aren't forgiven and we'll face God's judgment. Because sin must eventually be judged, and, and to not let go of our sin means we will be judged. I think the world at large is okay with God's forgiveness. You know, everyone's on board with the idea that, that God is a forgiving God. But we aren't so keen on confession. And yet the two things go hand in hand as David sings so clearly here. To not confess is to not want forgiveness. To not confess is to not even concede our sin. It's to cover it up in silent deceit. And so the world's instinctive way of thinking around this is logically flawed. I mean, why would we presume on God's forgiveness if we didn't ever repent? And yet, as to God being forgiving, well, the human instinct is quite on point. If we simply confess our sin to God... His forgiveness will flow. But do people really want God's forgiveness? Then why don't they confess? There's a fatal flaw in our default way of thinking around all this that David's trying to snap us out of with this song. He's calling us to repent. Those who confess their sin are forgiven. And those who are forgiven are saved. And again, just with, you know, like, like the idea of forgiveness, we, we might also be inclined to, to think of salvation as, you know, just bringing us back to, to neutral kind of ground. But to my eyes, the language here is again, not, not just neutral, it, it's altogether positive, this language. It's celebratory language. God will surround us with shouts of deliverance. This is good gospel in this psalm. God is calling to us as David sings this song. Although I think God himself takes the microphone in verses 8 and 9 and he starts softly and sweetly inviting us into this gospel himself. Verse 8, I will instruct you and teach you in the way you should go. 
I will counsel you with my eye upon you. God wants to guide us. God wants to be close to us, he says. Be, be not like a horse or a mule without understanding, which must be curbed with bit and bridle or it won't stay near you. He wants to be close. He wants us to be close to him. And this direct invitation from God in these verses maps us a little bit further into this blessing for the forgiven as we contemplate now the, the instruction and the walking with God that are captured here in these verses. We are saved and then we're brought close to God and, and made new. Granted, we'll still put a foot wrong here or there in sin, but God will be close to us. He will be watching our ways and he'll be showing us where we go wrong and he'll be teaching us better. He'll be teaching us his ways instead. We turn to God for forgiveness and salvation, but so too, he slowly turns us towards him. He is our saviour and he is our Lord. So I think we need to capture those, those extra ideas there in verses 8 and 9 with, with another word to capture that, that renewal, maybe transformation. And our chain of blessing grows another notch here. There's sin and confession and forgiveness and salvation and then transformation. We will be close to God and he will be making us new. And I think we're starting to get into the, the engine of confession here at this end of the chain here, the, the deep heart of confession, because to confess is to want to change. And God calls us into confession because he calls us into change. He wants to teach us his ways instead of our ways. And maybe this is why the world at large won't confess. Because deep down in their engine, they don't want to change. People may say they want God's forgiveness at the end. I'm sure everyone would say that. But do they still want sin in the meantime? Because that approach is to hide from God. It's to reject God and and that can only lead to sorrow and judgment at the end. Many are the sorrows of the wicked, verse 10. But for those who trust God, those who trust God to forgive them and save them and teach them his ways, well, that comes next in the verse. But steadfast love surrounds the one who trusts in the Lord. And then the song finishes with three ways of defining the joy in this blessing, because that's what it is to be blessed, you see, full of joy. Verse 11 makes a nice little matching bookend, I guess, to, to verse 1 that started all this, uh, wrapped around each end of our song. Be glad in the Lord, and rejoice, O righteous, and shout for joy, all you upright in heart. This is a song for the forgiven. 
And as we try to process this this simple teaching about confession and, and the blessings that flow from it, we might we might eventually start to wonder, if we think deeply enough, whether God's forgiveness, and therefore, I suppose, God's justice, you know, aren't just a little bit, I don't know, fickle or something, as we consider those two alternatives in this song. I mean, if all we need to do is confess and, and all of these blessings of forgiveness and salvation and transformation open up for us, but on the other hand, if we were to hide our sin uh, and would be swallowed up in sorrow and judgment, then... I don't know, isn't the fork in that road just too extreme? If all it takes is a simple confession to uh, avoid such awful judgment and, and sorrows, then then was the judgment really, you know, fair and, and right and, and necessary? Or to think of it the other way around, I suppose, if forgiveness can come in such joyful abundance, then how can God be so closed to those who don't confess? How can these two paths end in such opposite directions? Good questions, I think. To which the answer can be found by contemplating just what it is and who it is that we're dealing with in all of this, because this song is not about forgiveness between people, you know, you know, family or friends or contacts or whatever. This song is about the forgiveness of our sin against God. And God's judgment of sin will be perfect and complete. Of that, there can be no doubt. It will come because it must come. It'll come like a flood because it has to, because God is perfectly righteous. And so there must be a perfect judgment coming against every sin of every kind. And so the one path has to lead entirely to that end. Judgment of sin. And yet, God's mercy to us will also be perfect and complete. Of that there can be no doubt. Mercy will be granted to all who come to him in repentance because God is perfectly merciful. All who call on the name of the Lord will be saved. And so the other path here in our song has to lead entirely to that end. Mercy for those who confess. But the judgment must still flow. So how do these two things hang together? How can there be perfect judgment to punish and yet perfect mercy to forgive? And the answer is that God redirects his perfect justice. It still flows, it still comes, and it comes in full force, but it doesn't come to us who confess and come to him. And that way we can be saved. God redirects his justice. And God redirects his perfect justice to the only place that it rightly and justly can go, onto himself. This is why the eternal Son of God took on our human flesh as the man Jesus of Nazareth, so that the perfect justice of God against our sin could be redirected onto him. So that God's perfect mercy could flow to us. The cross is where this all hangs together.
The cross is where God's perfect justice and his perfect mercy flow together at once. And so the forgiveness that David sings about here, rejoicing all the way, is a perfect forgiveness. I want you to catch that. It's a perfect forgiveness. It doesn't hang on our determined effort. It doesn't hang on the best new page that we can turn over. It doesn't hang on how much we'd like to make amends for what we've done. It doesn't hang on us at all. It hangs on the perfect Jesus, Son of God, hanging on that cross. God's justice is spent for all who will but come to the cross and confess. When God forgives in Jesus Christ, it is perfect forgiveness, full and complete. And so David should rejoice. He should rejoice because there won't be any shortage, any lack of forgiveness or salvation or transformation that flows to him now from his simple confession, his simple trust in the Lord to give these things to him. And I wonder if that's why he sings all this stuff three times, to to capture how abundant, how, how perfect these things will be because they come from God. He's forgiven, 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 verses 1 and 2. Because he confessed, 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 verse 5. And now from God he is saved, 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 verse 7. He'll be renewed by God in in guidance, 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 verse 8. And he's rejoicing, 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 verse 11. Because this blessing is perfect. Because this blessing is full. Because this blessing comes to him from the perfect God. David has put a choice in front of us about how we respond to our sin. And there are only these two options. I pray that no one will fall for thinking that they can, I don't know, sidestep this choice, you know, by way of not having any sin to begin with. No one should think that they are of such good nature that they don't have any deceit, but but are godly and righteous and upright in their heart in and of themselves. No Nobody should feel like that. The song doesn't even have a category for that at all. Rather, the psalm uses those kind of words to describe these people, these people who turn to God and confess their sins, sinful people who confess. They are the ones in the song who are without deceit, who are godly, righteous, and upright in heart. These are words used here for the forgiven. The first three lines of our song Parallel the last three lines of our song. Blessed are the forgiven, for they are the righteous ones, full of joy. The Apostle Paul explicitly links those two identities together for us in Romans chapter 4, where he picks up this psalm and he says in Romans chapter 4 and verse 6, Just as David also speaks of the blessing of the one to whom God counts righteousness apart from works. That's verse 11 of our psalm. Blessed are the righteous. And then he quotes verse 1. Blessed are those whose lawless deeds are forgiven and whose sins are covered. Blessed is the man against whom the Lord will not count his sin. 
You see, it's only when our unrighteousness is not counted against us that we can become righteous in the eyes of God. None of us can sidestep this reality. We are all sinful. And so there are just the two alternatives in front of us. And simple confession and trusting in God for all the rest is is at the heart of our choice. So if you're a sinner who has confessed to the Lord, then rejoice with David in the good gospel in this psalm. You are forgiven. You are forgiven. And not just in the way that we kind of think of forgiveness. You are forgiven by the perfect blood of the perfect Jesus. You are forgiven by God. Jesus will surround you with salvation when the flood of judgment comes. He will renew you by his spirit in the meanwhile, teaching you, showing you areas for change and and guiding you in his ways. Even now, learn to think of God now as the God who wants to be close to you and who wants you to be close to him, who wants to do far more than just, you know, reset you to to some kind of neutral ground. He wants to lift you up, up in absolute joy. He wants to completely surround you in his steadfast love. He wants you close to him. You are more than just forgiven. You are his. And so you might learn to embrace this idea of confession as an ongoing posture in the rest of your life. Every time you do stumble, every time you do feel his spirit convicting you of sin, don't be silent trying to hide it away. Confess to the Lord and be taken in even closer. And yet, not everyone will take this on board, or or otherwise, you know, David's song wouldn't need to be urging us the way that it is. So if you haven't come to confess your sin to God, then see the two paths that David in his song is putting before you. The one path can only end in judgment. The other path can only end in blessing. Forgiveness, salvation, renewal and and joy, joy, joy. The, The choice is simple and the choice is right there before you. And you need nothing else in your hand but simply this. To fall before the Lord and confess your sin. And receive all of this blessing from him. Friends, there's there's only one way into the joy that David is singing about here. And yet it is yours if you want it. Come to Jesus. Confess your sin. And blessed are you. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for the scripture open in front of us today and for the call and the invitation that we see here in this passage. We pray, Father, that you would 
uh, help this uh, song to be a reminder to us of just how much you love us, uh, just how much and how deeply and how perfectly you forgive us and surround us with shouts of salvation that you, Father, are so joyful about our deliverance. We, we pray that you would impress these glorious truths on our hearts. All of us who have turned to you, Lord, confessing our sin and calling on your name, write these things deeper and deeper onto our hearts and souls, Lord. And and for those who have yet to acknowledge their sin to you and to, to receive all this, Lord, we pray, Father, that you would please help them to hear you calling in this song, the soft but crucial invitation here in this little song. We pray, Father, you would bring them to repentance and lead them into these blessings. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. <laughs> 